Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Good to be with you guys this morning. Hey, if you are, um, man, I'm just giving a shout out if you haven't registered for the men's retreat, I want to encourage you to do that. Sometimes we need to take a retreat in order to be meaningful. We need to go backwards in order to move forwards. And God, Jesus would often do that. He would go to the wilderness and be with his father and take a retreat in order to hear from his father in order to move forward. And maybe you find yourself trying that you're not moving forward. You keep hitting your head against the wall. You're not going where you need to be. And maybe God say, you need to take a step back. You need to be with men. You need to pray. You need to hear. You need to listen. And this weekend for men is uh, Remain is out of John 15. We want to encourage you to come out. So if you haven't signed up for that, um, go out in the foyer, see, uh, see Pastor Brian about that, and we'll get you guys uh, registered for the, for the men's retreat uh, coming up at the end of the month. Open up your Bibles to the Gospel of John, the 20th chapter. John chapter 20, if you have your phones, your iPads, your Bibles, whatever it might be, uh, this morning we're continuing on through the Gospel of John. We're almost finished with it, 21 chapters. We're in chapter 21. And so we're going to continue on. I hope you were just blessed by the worship this morning. You know, worship is really our cry for warfare. It's, our, it's a way we cry out to God. It's a way we allow him to prepare us for the heart, prepare our hearts for the receiving of the word. And so I'm just praying this morning because I know that God has something special for you this morning. We're going to be looking at John chapter 20, verses 19 to 23 this morning. And it's, I titled my sermon, Gifted for Life. Gifted uh, for Life. You know, when you, when, when you, when, you know, we love to, to throw parties. We love to have parties. We love to have gatherings. We love to have community. We love to have that. And when, when you get invited over to somebody's house for a reason, you usually often come with gifts, right? If it's a housewarming party, you bring a housewarming gift. If it's a birthday party, you bring a birthday gift. If it's, if it's a baby shower, you bring a baby shower gift. If it's an Easter gathering, you might bring an Easter gift, which is the season of this time. But you always come bearing gifts. That's kind of our culture. That's kind of what we do as a culture. This isn't any different in this story. Jesus is now resurrected, and he's going to the house to meet the disciple, and he comes bearing gifts. And there are actually five gifts that he comes with. He just didn't come with one gift, but he came with five gifts that he's going to bestow upon the disciples upon the believers that are in this room or in this house. He's bringing a, a house gift, you might say, a couple of them. And by this time, they're about, they say there's 10 disciples. Remember that Judas has already portrayed Jesus. Thomas is not present yet, and we're going to read the text right now. But Luke says that there might have been other disciples in this home when Jesus appears to bless them with some gifts. And I believe these gifts that Jesus are going to give is gifts for a lifetime. It's, it's a gift that he's going to bestow upon they're going to need for what's coming ahead. And I believe those gifts given to the disciples are the same gifts given to us today. Amen. Used for us today to live out this faith walk that we have. What, what's been going on here? What, let me set the context to the text we're gonna be into this morning because it's very, very important you understand that, right? In chapter John chapter 12, we found that as Palm Sunday. John chapter 20 is Easter Sunday. So between chapter 12 and chapter 20 is one week. And we studied that one week of what it is. Easter Sunday shows up and we find Mary Magdalene at the tomb of Jesus. We studied about her last week. She goes there. 
We believe there are other ladies with her. She shows up. The stone is removed away. The body of Jesus is gone. She doesn't know what's going on. She's weeping. She's, she's not too sure of it. She, what does she go? She goes and runs, tells the disciples, hey, the body of Jesus is not there. What do we find out? We find out that John and, P, uh, and Peter, they come running to the tomb to see exactly what Mary said. There's no body here. Where's the body? And then what happens? They go back home. That's where we find them with the other disciples. But Mary stays at the tomb and she's weeping because Jesus' body's gone. And sure enough, she sees some angels in there. She sees some things she has an encounter with you. She doesn't know it's Jesus just. She knows it's, she thinks it's the gardener. Until when? Until Jesus says her voice. And then she's awakened and says, Rabboni, teacher. Then she embraces him. She loves on him and embraces him. And Jesus says, hey, kind of brushes her off a little and says, go tell the others. And she's the first gospel preaching woman in the Bible where she goes to, to the disciples and tells them that Jesus is alive. And this is where we come to the story. Now it's Easter Sunday evening. And the disciples are incarcerated in their own home with the other disciples when Jesus makes this appearing. Let's read it, John chapter 20, starting in verse 19. It says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the, in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and has said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you for your love and blessings. We thank you for your goodness and mercy and grace. We thank you for all that you're doing, Lord. I just pray right now, Lord, your spirit speak. Father, as we look at these giftings that you've given the disciples through the hands of Jesus, we pray this morning that we would understand that's the same gifts you've given us for today because they're relevant for today. And so I pray in your anointing your hand upon our time this morning. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. We're looking at John chapter 20, first at verse 19. We're going to look at five gifts this morning, so you can deposit them in here. The first gift is this. Jesus gave the disciples peace. He gave them peace. Look at this in verse 19. Then on the same day of the evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. Sometimes we feel like life's pressure outweighs the peace of life. Some of us today, you know what we do? Some of us want to give our res resignation letter as parents and adults and say, I'm just going to resign from this role and just want to be back in the days of my youth when there was really no responsibility. I didn't have to worry about paying bills. I didn't have to worry about my future. I didn't have to worry where the meal was going to be. I could just be a kid and have fun. Some of us feel that way. We, we, we feel that way because we feel the pressures of life, realizing we tried to escape it by going for the weekends and living for the weekends, only to go back to the humdrum work of Monday morning business and feeling like, gosh, I've just gone in a circle but have accomplished nothing, and I don't feel the peace in it. I think people are, are, are looking for peace. They're looking for peace of heart. They're looking for peace of mind. They're looking for some idea of what peace is. 
and they just can't seem to find it. And then Jesus, what happens? Jesus comes on the scene. He arrives at the home, and he says, peace be with you, shalom. And I come bringing gifts. I love that. That's the culture they shalom. I'm coming to give, give you something, right? He wanted to give these gifts because the disciples needed some change to their reality. They were very fearful at this particular moment. They were afraid. They were facing anxieties. They were facing worries. They, they were facing unknowns. And, and yet Jesus comes and he offers them peace. I think Jesus is always offering us peace. Every day he is offering us people, peace. Why, why is Jesus coming with this offering? Because they were fearful. They are fearful of the Jews. And Jesus knows that they were fearful of the Jews. Why? Because what do they do? They hide themselves and they incarcerate themselves in their own home. It says that they shut the doors and that they were assembled in this room. I think we live in a world like that. We live in an a, a, a anxious-filled world. And yet peace is the greatest commodity, but nobody knows where to find it. <laughs> Like, people incarcerate themselves because of fear. And I think that's what's going here with the disciples. They're, they're, they're a bunch of fearful men in a room locked in a sh shut door. Maybe they're dealing with that anxiety because what's happened? They just heard that the body of Jesus is gone. They don't know where it is. They've got this bad news, and they're like, Everything we put our hope in, everything we, person we followed, everything that's going on is gone. Now, I don't know what my future holds for me. Have you ever put a lot of things into something and it didn't work out? Put your hope into something or you put your plans into something or you did something and it didn't pan out the way you thought it was going to pan out? I think the disciples are now, and then why? And then they saw what the Jews had done to Jesus. They beat him and they hung him on a cross. And we, we know that they had that similar experience in the garden when the soldiers came and they ran away because they thought they were going to be incarcerated for what they believed because they only, they only came to arrest Jesus. They came to arrest the disciples. So in a matter of 48 to 72 hours, this is transpiring. And they're dealing with the fear of all that's been happening over the, the last few days. And so they're like, they don't know what to do, so they incarcerate them. They isolate themselves. They put themselves in a room because misery loves company with these guys. And they don't know what to do, and they're feeling the anxiety and the stress and the pain of what's next. But no matter what, Jesus enters into the home, even though the doors are shut. Like, we think about that. Oh, yeah, we, you know, we, we I see. You just drive around the neighborhood. What do we have? We have bars on our doors. We have bars on our windows. We, we got bars on everything, right? You, know, I, I, you, ever, you see those ring things, those rings? You have ring things we have on the church here. I have a ring that you can see who comes, right? And what do you hear about all these people stealing your stuff off your porch, right? And trying to break into your house because we live in a, a culture and a society of fear and worry and anxiety and stress. So we try to protect ourselves by barring ourselves up and by putting security and by doing all that. We think that's going to bring us peace and security. But we don't find security from out. We only find peace from within and security from within. And so these men, their only response to their fear was to isolate and, and, and to enclose themselves so they wouldn't be hurt. In fact, it says that the doors were shut. So that means that 
It just didn't mean that they just closed the door. It means that they secured the door. They bolted the door. In fact, another word for shut or closed means to, to uh, is a word for blockade. In fact, this word is also used to describe one who obstructs the entrance into the kingdom of heaven. That blocks a way into the kingdom of God. You know, sometimes fear will be a barrier for us to experience God's peace and presence. You know, faith can be fearful for some because it requires trust. It requires trust. And trust in something we may not even see or understand, but that's what faith requires, right? Let me ask you this question. What barriers have you built to try to keep Jesus out? (laughs) What what barriers have you put in the way that God is knocking at your door, but you won't let him in? right? You're, you're, you're knocking on heaven's door, but you won't let, you'll let them in. What, what is it that, is it your fears, your anger, is, it, is you don't understand, lack of, what is it that's hindering you from God to give you all the gifts he wants to bestow upon you? Because we can lock Jesus out. They, they tried to lock everybody out from getting to them, and yet Jesus enters into the room, and he enters in supernaturally. Nowhere in the scriptures does it say that they opened the door for him. Nowhere, nowhere in the scriptures you see Jesus even knocking, though he knocks at the door of our lives. Because Jesus is a gentleman. He knocks on the heart of men. He doesn't bulldoze his way in. You have to invite him in. But at this specific time, he knew what the disciples needed, and so he enters into the room supernaturally. But they were so afraid. In fact, that word fear means the same word is the word phobios, which we get the word phobia. They were terrified. They they felt dread. They were anxious and worried. And so this fear is manifesting in in their lives. You know, some of us might feel the same way with God. What if what if I really put my faith in God? Then I really stand up for God. And I really speak on behalf of God. What would people say about me? Would they ridicule me? Would they make fun of me? Would they mock me? Yeah, they might. (laughs) I'm not going to lie, right? Oh, you fundamentalist Christians? You radical nationalists? Because that's the perception of the world of the church right now. But I don't think that's the design of God's church. It was never the design of God's church. You know, they might make fun of you, and they actually might hurt you physically. They might even hurt you emotionally sometimes as a follower of Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 10 to, 10 to 12, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice in me, seated glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What makes you think you're exempt from being persecuted because Jesus was persecuted? What makes you think you're exempt from being harmed just like the prophets were harmed? Come on, come on. We're not exempt from being challenged in our faith. We're not to be exempt from being tested in our faith. Listen, our faith will be tested. Our loyalty will be challenged. And we enter the kingdom through tribulation. But great people of faith were still fearful. They were still fearful. And we have to understand that disciples are dealing with these fear and these anxieties and Jesus is entering, right? But Jesus is offering a peace. I think maybe Jesus is even reminding what he said back in 16 to 33 of John. These things I spoke to you that, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I have overcome 
the world. How do we overcome the world? Our faith, our trust, our dependency upon God. Not on what we see, because we don't, we, don't, we don't walk by what we see. We walk by faith, not by what we see. Faith is trusting God, even in the unseen. Right? The anxiety of Gehazi when, when the prophet Elijah was there and the enemy of Syria was coming against them, he was worried about what was going to happen to him. And God said, and the prophet said, opened up his eyes and God showed him the angels in the spiritual realm. He says, look it, we're all going to be okay. But we, we look with the natural. We don't look with the spiritual. And so that's where anxiety and fear and depression and all those things begin to manifest because more concerned in the natural that we don't understand that God is with us. God is with the disciples in the moment of their fear, in their anxiety, in their depression. He's right there in the midst of everything they're experiencing and feeling. And then he offers them, here, here's peace. Here's what you're looking for. These doors ain't going to give you security. These doors ain't going to give you security. These barred windows ain't going to keep you safe. We put our, our trust in peace and so many things that can be easily taken away. Even easily bypassed, right? And Jesus is offering true peace to the disciples, right? He brings them peace. Jesus came and stood in their midst and he's going to offer them peace. Means when he stood in their midst, he says that Jesus came and he appeared before them. He stood means he, 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 he held his ground. He, he, he took his place. Jesus supernaturally entered this room. I love this. And he's appearing in his glorified body. I want you to catch this. He's, he's appearing in his glorified body, his, his heavenly body. Peter and John would have been very familiar with this. They would have seen this before on the Mount of Transfiguration. When they're up in a mountain, Peter, James, and John are up in the mountain, and Jesus just gives them a sneak preview of heaven. And he begins to manifest in his heavenly body. And they're like, they don't know what to do. They're kind of panicked, right? Do we build tents? We build altars? What are we doing here? Right? And, uh, and then you have Moses and Elijah that appear with Jesus on that mountain. So they even see Moses and Elijah in their spiritual bodies. They get to see a little sneak preview into heaven. Right? Moses represented the law. Elijah represented the prophets. And Jesus represented the word. And you see that all manifested before Peter, James, and John. And so I could imagine that Peter and John are in the, in the room there. And James, Peter, James, and John are in the room there. And what's that? They see Jesus in the glory. They go, oh, we've seen this before. I've seen this. I, I, I've seen this. This looks familiar. And so maybe that's begin to bring a little bit of comfort to them. Because in the unknown, they're familiar with what is known. And I think the more we get closer to Jesus, the more we get to know the more we get familiar, so when we get in the unknown, we're okay because we know the one who's with us. He's in our midst. He's in our presence, right? We see that. Because it's been in a confusing, emotional time for the disciples, but Jesus is in their midst. And they didn't respond to Jesus right away like Mary responded. Mary gave Jesus a big old hug. They're like, check, just checking it out, right? That's why he has to go a little further with giving and bestowing them upon some gifts because they're not too sure yet, right? I think there might even be a little bit like, yeah, I've seen this before. Um, but they need a little bit more convincing in some sense, because we're going to see that later in the text here, right? And Jesus brings the words. He, he, his presence brings comfort, and now his word brings comfort. He's in their midst. He's holding their ground. They see him who he is. So number one, our, his presence will bring us peace, but his words will now bring us peace, right? Because Jesus begins to speak to calm them in their own personal storms, 
with his words. You remember when Jesus was sleeping on the boat with the disciples and the storm came and he's crashed out with his little pillow on the backside of the boat and the disciples are panicking and they're fearful while Jesus is snoozing, they're screaming, they're panicking and they wake up Jesus. Don't you care about us, Jesus? Don't you know we're gonna die? Right, they're in their own anxiety and fear. And Jesus said, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. In fact, the word peace in that text translates to be silent or to be quiet. There are times when God will, will quiet the voices we hear that bring fear. Sometimes God will speak peace into us to quiet those things that bring anxiety in our life. But when you come to chapter 20 of John, it's a different translation of the word peace. It's a different Greek word. That Greek word here means uh, tranquility or a peaceful soul or peace from within or secure peace. It's the same word found in John 14, 7 when it says, peace, I leave you. Tranquility, I leave you. My peace, I give you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let your heart not be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Right? He's saying, let me, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you something that the world can never offer you. The peace that only comes from me because I'm the peace giver. And I'm giving you this peace. What's going on in John 14? Remember, he's already telling that I got to go, that another would come, and that trust in me, but trust also in God. Be anxious for nothing. He, John chapter 4, beginning of John chapter 14, the beginning of that, because they were stressed out and worried. He said, I'm giving you peace. It's going to be okay. Trust me. Trust me. Right? If you were to go back and like yesterday, the playoffs of the NBA are playing, right? My wife were watching some of the playoff games yesterday, and we, we saw, you know, the, the, the Warriors play yesterday, okay? And they played Sacramento, and, and they lost. They lost at the very end there. But if I know, don't talk about it. I know there's woundedness and anxiety and stress for some of you. Okay, we, we'll ask you for healing for that. But, um, but if I, I watched that game and I, and I watch it again today, right, I know the outcome. I already know the outcome because of what happened here. Guys, we have to understand that Jesus is saying, look it, I'm showing myself. I want to show you what the outcome is. Here's the glorified body. This is your outcome eventually. So don't stress when you go through the craziness because I want to show you a picture of heaven. I'm, I'm in your midst. I want you to see where you're going. I want you to see what you're going to look like. I want you to see, experience this presence in my words. And, and don't be anxious for these things because I'm giving you a little bit of the of sneak preview of what is to come. Right? We even know that was God's purpose. Peace was God's purpose for the world because at his birth, the angels proclaimed that in Luke 2.14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. The same Greek word we find here, tranquility, goodwill toward men. It was God's desire that we would have peace. That is his desire for us. It's when we step out of the bounds of God's design that we got chaos. We, we, got, we, got, we got selfishness and self-deception and, and pride and arrogance, all these things play in their life that takes away from the peace that God wants to give us. Come on, come on. And it's God's desire that we know peace. So his first thing he comes is he downloads peace. I guess, guys, peace be with you. You remember, I, I, I remember going to the Catholic church and that was the thing, peace be with you and, and also with you. That would be our response, Right. And, and, and so God is the first thing. He says, before I'm going to get into other four gifts, first of all, let's just talk about peace because peace is only found in me, 
nothing else. And so first gift, he says, peace be with you. I'm giving you peace. Here's the second gift here. He gave the disciples proof of his resurrection. So he gave them priests. Now he's giving them proof. And when he had said these, when he talked about this peace, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. The first thing he did is he gave them physical proof. He gave them physical proof. He, he begins to show his wounds. He begins to reveal his wounds, right? In fact, we read this and we kind of scan it. It's only like five verses, four verses. But if you go to the Gospel of Luke, it gives us a little bit more insight to what actually is happening in the text because this story is found in the other Gospels too and they give a little bit more detail. In fact, it says when, when Jesus appeared to them, they were afraid and terrified because they thought he was a ghost. At first they thought he was a ghost, right? Again, remember when Jesus walked on water? What did they think Jesus was? They thought he was a ghost. They were, they were afraid, right? And then as the disciples saw that, he's speaking to the disciples, he, he tells them, you know, don't be troubled, right? We go, we go, look at the story of Matthew chapter 14. Be a good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid, Jesus said. I'm not a ghost. I'm a person. Do not be afraid. Let me tell you something here. I think the reason people have a hard time with the church a little bit is they're afraid of the supernatural. They're afraid of the supernatural things God wants to do in their lives. <laughs> Guys, you are supernatural stories. You, God has done miracles in your life and he's done these crazy stuff. That's supernatural. We always looking for healing and miracles and things of people, you know, can't walk and raise. But the greatest miracle is salvation. It's a changed life. And we are, we are so afraid of the supernatural sometimes in the church, but God is all about supernatural things. Jesus said, why are you troubled? Why have your doubts arise in your hearts? Then he showed him his hands and his feet. And John said he also showed him his side. He said, it's me. It's me. Here's my hands. Here's my feet. Here's my side where they speared me. And, and, and we see that him showing that, right? Though we know that Jesus had a supernatural body that was physical, yet he... He walked through walls, but yet was still physical, <laughs> right? So he was supernatural, yet he was physical. Mary hugged him in, in verse 17. The disciples looked upon him here in the text. Thomas would touch his wounds, right? He would later eat with the disciples. So there's a physical and the super, supernatural together. The Bible says in heaven, we're going to have this physical body that fits heaven. This, this body now cannot fit heaven. This body is not designed for heaven. That's why... Paul calls it a tent. It's just a tent. A tent is something that's temporary. When you go camping, you go tent camping is temporary. Not, it's not meant to be in long term. This body is going to be transformed to a new body to fit heaven. And that's the permanent body. But here's the kicker in the story, guys. We get that new body. This is a new body we're going to get in heaven. Right? Yet we'll still see the scars of Jesus in heaven. We'll see, read, read Revelation chapter five, the one who had the wounds as he opens up the scrolls, right? So that tells me we're gonna see the wounds of Jesus as a reminder of his love for us, but our scars are gonna be removed because he's gonna wipe every tear from our eyes and you say how much he loves us. So he's gonna heal us of our wounds. He's gonna heal us of our scars. He's gonna heal us of those traumas and those memories and all that we've gone through. Yet the only thing we're gonna see is a love 
that God demonstrates to even his scars. And yet God is still ministering to us. He's showing us his physical body. But in the midst of showing his physical body, it affected their emotions because they had great joy, emotional joy, right? It says when they saw that, there was great, they were glad, the scripture says. They were, they were happy. They said they had great gladness in their lives. That was the gift there. That I'm showing you proof, and you're going to have great joy. Peace and joy might come through the proof, right? John 16, 20 says this, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. This is the moment that he's turning their sorrow and their fear into joy. Because that's part of the emotions. We're created with emotions. That's why we cry and we weep and we celebrate and we laugh. God gave us life in those things, right? He's turning their fear and sadness into great joy. In fact, the word glad translates great rejoicing to be well and to thrive. The Lord wants us to thrive. To experience abundant life is what he wants in us. This is the gift that he's giving. I love this. As he appears in their midst and he stands, he gives them his peace. He shows them their wounds. What do we find? Jesus, there is no rebuke of Jesus apart for what they've done and their failures. We don't see them. I don't see Jesus scolding them. In a, oh, you abandoned me on the cross. There was no shaming for rejection. Jesus just brought great rejoicing. That's why the Bible says there's a party in heaven when one repents. <laughs> he throws a party. So all the angels rejoice. There's a celebration when, when one comes back to the kingdom. That's why he gives the prodigal son story about the father who wastes the son who went and squandered all that he had and partied and life, even all, looking for peace, looking for joy, looking for meaning, goes off, squanders everything his father has given him, and he comes back, and nowhere does the father scold the son. He throws a party. Get the, get the carnitas out. Get the road. Get everything's going on. We're having a party. You know, who's, you know who throws a tantrum? The older brother. Dad, what are you doing? He blew all the money. He blew, he blew the business. He thought you were dead. He, he, he just disrespected you, and you're throwing him a party? Yeah, my, my son was lost, but now he's found. We were all the prodigals. And our father is the one that says, come on, let's throw the party. He was blind, but now he sees, right? But others are like, oh, no, bring down the judgment, bring down the wrath, bring down everything, right? Ain't that like the world, man? They got a list of everything we've done wrong. But yet God's pardoned us. We're going to get into that in a moment as a gift. But here he's showing his proof and is bringing great joy. He's downloading this gift to us of who he is with great joy. Here's the third gift. Jesus gave the disciples a purpose. He gave the disciples a purpose. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. I love this. God has given us a, a purpose in life, right? He's given us a mission, a great commission. You know, we as parents, we, we have responsibilities. I have four kids, and my responsibility as a parent is to disciple them, to pour into them, to find out what their giftings is, what their talents and abilities are, and help them develop all these so they would have a kingdom purpose 
in their gifting, in their call, that I would train them as young men and women to, to know what it means to walk with God, to gift them an ability to know how to manage their money, to be able to give a part in their work ethics into them. What was the purpose of all these things in raising my kids? That I could launch them out. <laughs> that I can send them out, that they could live in this world like God created them to live in this world. That's, that's our goal as parents. We want to equip our kids so they can live outside of our house. Sometimes when we haven't equipped them, we have a failure to launch. Jesus says, I've been with you three and a half years. We're not going to have a failure to launch. <laughs> I'm sending you out as a mission. I I've equipped you. I've given everything you need. I've given you everything you need for godliness to be, to be sent out, and I'm launching you into the world. Sometimes you throw them into the pool, and they got to swim or sink. Sometimes we got to go out. Some of us are, are afraid to, to take those leaps of faith, and he's saying, look at I'm downloading you a purpose. Some people don't know their purpose in life. And they're in the wilderness their whole life trying to figure out what the purpose of life is, what their purpose, what their call is. Maybe, you're, maybe the reason maybe you're so miserable in your job and you don't like it is you haven't found your purpose in it. Because God has a purpose for everything. And you're in a place that he put you for a purpose. Maybe there's somebody that needs to hear about Jesus. Maybe somebody needs to be encouraged. Maybe there's somebody that needs to, you need to come alongside because you've been through some life things that you could help them get through some life things. God has given every one of us a purpose. Here he's given us a purpose to share about God's love as a whole. Because the word vocation, if you look it up in the dictionary, it means to preach the gospel. Look it up. What's your vocation? I'm a teacher. I'm a this. No, 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 no. If you look it up, it means to call by God to preach the gospel. That's our vocation. That's where he's placed us. That's where he's put us to be able to proclaim and touch those around us in our life. And he's launching out the disciples. Again, he says, peace be with you. He, he starts off with that peace, right? It's the same word we talked about earlier, right? Same, same translation. But I think the idea here is that in order to fulfill our mission in going out, people need to see that we're peaceable people, that we know that peace. That they're seeing all the craziness around. They're, they're, they're looking and saying, how can you be so quiet and, and so peaceable when all the craziness is around going on, right? We just had another shooting this week at a bank, right? We had six people get killed. And it, how, are you so, how are you so peaceable in the midst of the chaos? In a matter of weeks. Guys, you just got to, I, I get all those news feeds every day. I'm like, ah, like this world is falling crazy. People killing people, Meredith. It's, it's crazy what's going on. You're like, how can you live in a world and have peace when you look at all the chaos and all the stuff that's going on, the wars and rumors of wars and the, and the tornadoes and the earthquakes and the killing. Man, this is crazy. But our lives, because we know the Prince of Peace, has to be an example to the world. So he says, first of all, before I send you a mission, are you at peace with who I am? And does the peace of God live in you? And number two is that, are you at peace with the mission? Because <laughs> some of us are, tr are troubled by the mission he's given us. Uh, we're troubled by the call that he's given. We're, we're troubled by, like, you mean I have a role in this kingdom thing? Yeah, each of us, because you're, you're a holy priesthood holy generation and you got a role in the kingdom you got a role god's giving you this role and it's a kingdom role and a purpose i don't care where you are i don't care if you're in the penthouse or the outhouse <laughs> and everything in between you got a purpose 
you got a, you got a goal, right? And, he, and he's saying here, first of all, I want them to understand you have a peace, right? Let me tell you this, peace that Jesus gives is not absence of trouble, but is rather the confidence that he is there with you always. So as you're being sent out, because I'm sending you out, I'm launching you out, it's gonna, you're going to face some obstacles and troubles and challenges and difficulties. But I understand that you're, you're, you have confidence and security in, in your relationship with God. That's where the peace comes. Then now you become messengers of peace. You are now messengers. As the Father has sent me, he says, right? He's the model. I send you, finish the work that I'm giving you. You've seen how I went out, how I'm ministering, how I'm encouraging, how I'm healing, how I'm doing this work. Now you're going to finish what I started. I'm sending you out to do that. The, the Jesus knows the disciples will face hardship. We only have to see the book of Acts. That's the history of the church. And there's trials they went through, right? Jesus said, I'm sending you out like, I'm, like sheep among wolves, right? I don't buy into the health, wealth, prosperity doctrine that we're hearing today. I believe we face sufferings, sickness, and trials. Paul was sick. He suffered and faced trials, yet he was rich in faith. And so, yeah, we're going to face the difficulties and, and the challenges of things. We're not going to be exempt from them. Birds have nests. Foxes have holes. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus was homeless at times. Just read Corinthians 11 and all that Paul went through. Beaten three times with 39 lashes, shipwrecked, cold, hungry. But he says, I was content in, when I had a lot and I was content when I had a little. But in all things, I'm content. Guys, we're going to go through life's ups and downs but the peace of God, right? The proof of God, right? And, and we see here now our purpose in God is, is guiding us through these very things. In fact, again, he's, he's sending them out. It means to, 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 to throw out or to cast out. He's launching them. You know, when you launch something, I remember when I was a little kid, I used to have those, I don't know if you remember those rockets. And they had those little power engines and you just put them in the park and you used to light them and shoot them off in the air and they'd launch them way up in the air. It means to thrust or to launch. He's literally saying, get out. That's what he's saying in the, in, in the text. I'm launching you out like sheep among wolves. I'm throwing you out and get in it. Right? But parents, we don't like to do that with our kids. Well, what if they get hurt? You know what? Everybody wins. I, I, got, I was coaching. I got to coach uh, my son's basketball team when he was really young and uh, we homeschooled, so they had this mentality that everybody wins. See, everybody gets a medal. You know what I mean? And so I'm coaching, but I, I, I play college basketball. I can, I'm competitive, right? I get competitive, right? So there's this other team. This guy had a three-point shooter, so I'm, I'm running a, 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 a box, kind of a, a defensive with a man-on-man. -man. This guy, I'm setting up these offenses. We're practicing. We're running drills. If you miss a basket, you got to run a lap. And I make, I'm working them, right? And I'm running all these offenses with trying to stop this three-point shooter, and they're like, whoa, whoa, Pete, you're just a little too intense. What do you, what do you mean? And he goes, well, this, you know, these are kids. Everybody wins here. Really? What world are you in? There's winners and losers. Right? Nobody ever gets a medal. Nobody ever, nobody ever gets the gold when you're in the Olympics. Right? I'm, I'm showing discipline. You got to be, you got to have a, a good... You gotta get have a good sports in winning and losing. 
right? You're, you're teaching them these things. You're launching them. They didn't ask me back to coach again. So, um, <laughs> but the reality of this, guys, is the purpose of saying these things is you're, 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 you sometimes you have to throw, throw them out. And I threw you guys out a week, a couple of weeks ago to go out to learn and the joy that comes in that. It's a little scary. Yeah. You might get rejected. Yeah. Last week we were full, full, packed. Where are everybody now? I feel like Jesus when he fed the 5,000, right? 5,000, they're like multitudes. Now come follow me. Nobody showed up. <laughs> right? Right? You know, Jesus heals 10 lepers. Only one came back and said, thank you. Come on, come on. You know what I mean? I, I get it. I get it. You know what I mean? But the reality is, guys, we're called to go out. That's the purpose and mission that we're learning, right? But your mission is to be a peace peacemaker, right? He commences to preach the gospel of peace. Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Listen, we are in a war. We are in a battle. And the battle is not physical, it's spiritual. And we're battling for souls, for one who wins souls is wise. But those apart from Christ are warring with God, yet they don't even know it. The world doesn't even realize it's fighting with God, right? Romans 5.10 says, for if when we were enemies, underline that in Romans 5.9.10, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. God said, apart from God, he defined us as enemies. God had drawn the line in the sand. But Romans 5 says, having been justified by faith, having been saved by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because of what Jesus did, now we have peace with God. We're no longer his enemies, right? Amen. And so the mission was that people would be, our mission would be people would get peace with God, would be get right with God, and also get right with one another when there's ought. We're called to serve people and to love people. And when we do this, this will bring down the dividing walls, the dividing walls of hostility, right? So we have the antidote to this disease we call sin that's causing ailments in our world. It's the gospel. I say it's the gospel. Give them that pill and healing will take place. Because the gospel is good news because all we've seen lately is bad news. We are the peacemakers. We are the one that bring hope. So he downloads that, our purpose. Here's another one, gift. Jesus gave the disciples power. He gave them a purpose, but he knew he needed, they needed power. Look at 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit, right? You ever had a flat tire? You know you have a flat tire when your car's driving, it starts going, boom, boom, and you can't control it, right? Because the flat, there's no air in the tire. It's flat, so you have to park your car, take out the spare. It's usually about this big, you know what I mean? And then you put it on to temper to get you to the tire shop, and they take that tire off. They pull out your flat tire. They put on a new tire, but the new tire needs air. They have to fill it up with air. They call it pneumatic air, right? That's a, just a fancy word saying tire with air, okay? And that's a word right there. Pneumatic tires just means Air would tire, but that's the legal term there. You know what? The air in the tire gives that tire life to get you to where you need to be, to get you to the destination you need to be. Jesus knows that the disciples need to fulfill their mission. He knows exactly what they need to fulfill their mission. 
And they, they need the breath of life in them. They need the dwelling of the third person of the Trinity in them. They need the Holy Spirit. And so God breathed life into them. He, he's, I'm referencing this because this goes all the way back to Genesis, to the creation, right? The Hebrew word for spirit in the Old Testament is rok. It's the same word for breath. The Greek word for the spirit in the New Testament is pneuma. Pneumaker is pneuma. We get the word air, pneumaker. And when a man was created from dust of the earth, God breathed life into him, right? He was dead. He wasn't alive. God created him out of the dust of the earth, and he breathed life in him, and he got life. That's how he came to life. But when man sinned, we were dead in our trespasses of sin. That's why Ephesians says we were dead in our trespasses, but he made us alive. Why? Because he breathed the spirit into us. He gave us life. He gave us newness of life. He made us new creations. The old is gone. The new has come. He gave us that pneuma air, that Holy Spirit air. And by faith, we receive the Holy Spirit. That was the promise made by Jesus. We have to go back to John chapter 14 and 16 and 17. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper and he may abide with you forever in the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells, here it is, with you and will be in you. Do you catch that? He'll be with you, but he'll be in you, the scripture says. After Peter's failure of denying Christ in the garden, God restores him. We see that in 21 of John. 50 days later, at Pentecost, the Spirit comes upon him, and he preaches now with power. Here's the coward who denied Christ for 50 days earlier is now preaching with power because the Spirit is in him. And then he says this, then Peter said to them as he preached to the Jews when they came to faith, and 3,000 came to know the Lord, he says, repent and let everyone you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's the gift. He's downloading the power. He says, this is the gift that you get by faith, right? But let me tell you something. There's more to the gift, right? Listen, I, I, my, uh, I had an old car, right? And you have a, you, you, for those, I don't know if you guys still drive stick anymore. Stick, you know, and we all automatics now, Prius, all fancy, like old school. I had VWs growing up, stick, you know, boom. And you, 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 you'd have to learn that thing. But what it is, you have first gear to start, but the further along, you second gear, third gear, fourth gear, and you got more power, right? Right. You have the ability to move. You have the power to move because you got an engine. But sometimes you need a little turbo, right? Sometimes you need a little bit more power to get you where you need to be. Look, at we have the Spirit in us, but then there's something called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is an empowering of the Spirit for the moments that we need to be able to do the things. Because right here, Jesus breathes the Spirit in them in John chapter 20. Peter has the Spirit, but then he waits in an upper room, and then he gets empowered by the Spirit for the moment to preach the gospel, and 3,000 come to know the Lord. He needed a little turbo in his preaching. He needed a little power and unction in his preaching. That's what we're saying here. God, you've given us this feeling. We have you in us, but we need that power to for that moment. For that moment of temptation, God, give me power. For that moment of faith, give me power. For that moment of things I need, give me that extra power I need to get over, to push through. Because that was the key to the success of the church in the book of Acts. Just look at what happens. They received power and they did great miracles and signs and wonders. And they did all these things because of the power. I believe today that people can still be healed. I believe today that people can still touch people. I believe that didn't end in the apostolic age. It still happens today. And yet we lack faith that God could do that. 
And so I, I just want to tell you that because what happens, there was 120 meeting in an upper room, praying for 10 days, seeking, and the Spirit came upon them. Luke, Luke 3.16 says this, and this is John the Baptist, I indeed baptize you with water. One mightier than I is coming whose sandal straps I am not worthy even to lose. This is John the Baptist speaking. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit in fire. Listen, we do baptism here, right? We believe in baptism. It's a symbol to identify with Christ. I baptize you, or a pastor baptize you, or somebody in the church, but there's a physical, I baptize, and that's one baptism. Josh, we talked about the baptism. The baptism comes by man is through physical baptism, but the greatest baptism comes by Jesus. Jesus is the baptizer of the Holy Spirit. He breathes on them. He, he's going to pour spirit upon them, right? And so we have been given a divine nature. Read 1 Peter chapter 1. We have been given everything we need for godliness, right? He's given us the power to fulfill this great mission. That's, that's what makes us different. Come on. Is this God living in us, Christ oh. in us, the hope of glory. See, that, it's not on our own. That's why I don't have to worry about taking 12 steps. That's a lot of work. I just got to take one step with his power. And that does the work in my life. That, that's what the Bible says. I either believe it or I don't believe it. I either believe it's true or it's not true. Because if this word is not true, then my life is a farce. It's a lie. I might as well go eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow I die. Because that's the work of God. He says, I've given you a purpose and I'm giving you power and you're not gonna do it on your own. I'm gonna supernaturally empower you to be the peacemakers in your community, in your families, in your neighbor. How can you say like, Lord, forgive me, honey, for when I spoke wrong to you? Because that's the power of conviction of the spirit. Outside of that, I'm like, I'm gonna do what I wanna do. Right? But if the Holy Spirit brings conviction and transformation and change, and there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. I don't want you to get that confused. Condemnation is judgment. Conviction is transformation. Condemnation says, throw you in prison. Conviction says, I want to change your life. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And then I'm going to empower you to have what you need to go be a difference out here because the Holy Spirit is love for God, is, for the fruit of the Spirit is love. And so he gives us this power. Here's the last thing because I'm running out of time. Franklin's saying a lot this morning. I had to give him that. It's all right. It's all good. It said, here's the last thing. Jesus gave the disciples authority to speak about one who can be pardoned from sin. Right? Can be pardoned from sin, right? Look at 23. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven then. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Right? You know what? We live in a very technological world. Like, right? right? You, you ever text somebody and then they got autocorrect? Right? You got autocorrect, spell check. And sometimes they make the words all weird and it doesn't come out all right sometimes, right? I like the old school. Remember when they said chalkboards and you used to write chalk and you had an eraser and you erase it? Or I didn't even know if we have pencils anymore, pencils with erasers on top, right? You know what I mean? You write on them and then you can take the eraser and erase it when you make a mistake, right? That's, that's just old school. Maybe some of you guys, some of you guys don't even remember the rotary phone. Remember the rotary phone? You remember? Okay. Um, but I'm just saying, you know, I think forgiveness is kind of like the, the wide out of our mistakes. I should say the red out because the blood covers our forgiveness. It, it wipes away things. It, it erases those things that we have done wrong, right? It erases our errors. It, it covers our sin. It gives us the opportunity to start over and make it right. That's what forgiveness does. But the point it's making here is that 
We are messengers of forgiveness. That's the point that Jesus is trying to lay out here. He says that you have a message about forgiveness, right? We are pardoned by his blood. We do not forgive sin, sin as a general. God forgives sin. We proclaim about the forgiveness of sin, right? Go all the way back to Mark chapter 2. Four men bring a man on a pallet. They drop him in the presence of Jesus. They want him to be healed, right? The Pharisees and Sadducees are all, the scribes are all there watching. And before he even heals the man, he says, because of the faith of your brothers, your sins are forgiven. And the religious, he said, who does he think he is? Only God can forgive sins. That's the point. Jesus was saying he was God, right? I can forgive. And because you don't believe that, arise and walk. Boom, there's the healing take place, right? He did both. He did both. We were dead in our trespass sin. We were laid out from the floor up. He heals us now. We walk in faith. That's what he did with the man on the pallet. But he also forgived spiritually and he healed physically. Sometimes God will do that. He'll heal spiritually. He'll forgive us our sins so that we can walk physically. Maybe sometimes a lot of the struggles that people are having today with the depression and anxiety and fear is that they're, they're so filled with guilt and shame. Yeah, we're guilty. We're all guilty. That's what God uses to bring us to him so he can heal us. And if he says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you off. And then when we release our guilt and our shame to him and we confess that, then God heals us. That's why it says in, in James chapter five, go confess your sins once another, that healing might take place. Hallelujah. That there's a confession that takes place because God is the one who forgives. We announce the forgiveness of sin, Jesus performs the miracle of forgiveness. Proverbs 28, 13 says, he who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. We can do two things in response to our sin. We can cover it and hide it. So we don't think anybody knows. Or we can let Jesus' blood covers and remove it. We're covering something, right? When Adam and Eve sit in the garden, they try to cover their nakedness and they try to hide from God. They couldn't. In fact, their leaves weren't enough. Jesus actually had to sacrifice an animal, even in Genesis, to cover their body. He, you see the first sacrifice, even the, in the beginning of Genesis, before there was sacrifice even done. Because they tried to cover. Guys, we're not here to cover our mess. Because God will uncover it. Right? So, God, I'm coming to you open here. I'm, this is who I am. So you can cover it by your blood. Because that's sufficient. It will cover my mess. Because again, if we confess our sins, what? He's faithful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us. God is not this God in heaven ready to strike us down. I love Micah 7, 18 and 19. It says this, where is another God like you who pardoned the guilt of the remnant, overlooking the sins of a special people? Will you not stay angry with your people forever because you delight in showing unfailing love? Once again, you will have compassion on us. You will have trampled our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. How big is the ocean? The ocean is huge. You throw a ship and it sinks. You can't find that ship. You know what? We throw our sins into the ocean as far as the east is to the west. And then God says, no fishing. But we keep pulling it back up. But God has forgiven it. He's wiped it clean. I don't know your story. I don't know a lot of your stories here. But maybe you feel like there's some darkness in you. They feel like, I can't get over it. God forgives. His grace is sufficient. His blood is enough. His atonement is final. He did it all for us so we don't have to live in the guilt and the shame and all that goes with all that, right? Think of David and Bathsheba. David was a man after God's own heart. That's how they describe him, right? Then he saw a woman naked bathing, got knocked out, 
knocked her up, got in trouble, tried to hide it, right? Killed a man, killed her husband. Like he was like you know, Jerry Springer all, all around. Okay, he's, he's doing all this stuff, trying to cover it up. And the prophet Nathan comes and reveals his mess, right? Says, dude, let's get it right, bro. You messed up. Read Psalm 32. Psalm 51 and Psalm 30. That's David's writings about his experience. In Psalm 32, you see it in one through five. Your homework is to go read it one through five today. If you're, I give you homework every once in a while. Psalm 32, one through five, go read it. But really, it's the first two verses is about what celebration God. Blessed are those whose sins are forgiven. He realized that, God, you forgave me in the first two verses. And he celebrates the forgiveness of sin. And then verse three and four, what does he do? There's a crisis for David. And what's the crisis? You know, when I didn't ask for forgiveness, man, I was thirsty. My body ached. I was emotionally jacked up. I felt it physically. I felt it emotionally. He talked about his pain. He talked about his ache, body aching. You know what? That happens in sin. We can feel it physically if it's unconfessed. But then verse five, he says, I confessed my sin. I confessed it. And God brought healing to the iniquity. He brought healing. Just go back and read that when you go home today. He knew the power of forgiveness. But let me tell you the sad thing about this part. There's people that don't want to be forgiven, <laughs> right? There's an unwillingness to be forgiven. Those who retain their sin will hold on to their sin. It will be held against them, right? Some people think they're just good enough. They have a stubborn heart, right? You know, they're, they, uh, they're fine. I have no sin. I'm good. They don't take responsibility for their own actions, right? God offers them a way out and they reject it. They reject it. I'm good. Uh, that's good for you, not for me. I'm cool. Me and God, we're cool, right? I, 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 I'm a pretty good person. What does it say? What does John write later in his epistles? If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You're in denial. You never sinned? Oh, I never sinned. Really? Oh, whew, you just sinned. You just lied right now. Um, right? They have a rejection of the truth which is the rejection of Jesus, which is the unpardonable sin. I hope you caught this. The unpardonable sin is knowing what is truth and reject, keep rejecting it. That's the unpardonable sin because that's why Luke says, if anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him, but to him who blasphemies against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Right? If you know what is right and you don't do it and you keep rejecting it, God will turn you over to your own sin. He'll turn it over to the depraved mind. He turned Pharaoh over to his hardened heart. He already knew what he was going to do with God's people. And if you read the book of Hebrews, I know women, you've been studying the book of Hebrews, right? And it talks about Hebrews, about Pharaoh and his heart and his heart. And the word came and he continued to harden his heart. You know what? The sad thing about the church is you could be in the church and still have a hard heart. Come on. Hardness to the word of God. Come on. That's a scary place to be. Come on. And yet, if that's what you want, God says, I'm not pushing this on you. You can retain your own so It'll stay on you and you're condemned already because you choose not to get the freedom that God wants to give. So as we close this morning and we partake of communion, here are the five gifts that he bestows upon these men and others that were in the room. First, he offered them peace. Peace. Peace with God and peace with God inside them, that there was a peace that God had. Then he said, here's the proof. Like, I'm the resurrected Jesus. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. Look at my side. I'm here to, to build your faith. This is the proof I'm giving you. And then here's the purpose, guys. You're on a mission to be peacemakers. That's your, that's your purpose. But you also need power. 
So I'm gonna give you the spirit. So I'm gonna breathe the spirit in you so you have the Holy Spirit to help you. But then lastly, guys, remember you're pardoned. <laughs> you have a message to, that God has pardoned people, that he's forgiven them of their sins. And that is the message you share. That's the love of God. That's the goodness of God. That's the mercy of God. These are the five things he deposited down to the disciples and those that were in the upper room. That's my challenge to you guys. God's given those same things to you. That same purpose, that same gifting today. That's why these gifts are eternal. You know, you might bring a housewarming gift and it might be a plant, but a week later you've been watering and now it's dead. <laughs> but these gifts are eternal. These gifts are forever and they last for all eternity. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this morning. We thank you for your love and blessings. We thank you for the work that you're doing and how you're moving, God. And I pray this morning that your people were encouraged, Lord. They're built up. They're edified in the work of your speaking of your word, Lord, the worship of your word. But that, Father, you blessed them with these five gifts just for them, that you were thinking about them at the foundations of the earth. Father, these gifts, Lord, you blessed us with them. And I pray your blessings of your people in the teaching and the reading of your word this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.